This session is from the 2022 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. For more information, please visit shepherds360.org. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for attending this talk. Uh, my name is Tara Sander Lee. I'm with the Charlotte Lozier Institute in Arlington, Virginia. Um, the title of my talk is Babies Are Not Lab Rats, Science and Ethics of Human Embryo Experimentation in Fetal Tissue. It's a mouthful. <laughs> um, so uh, please pray with me uh, before I begin. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the food that just nourished our bodies. Um, thank you for this time that we can be together in fellowship um, to learn of the truth and your creation. Um, please guide and direct our conversation today, and um, may it be all for your glory. Amen. Um, so I, I, I'm going to start out by saying that there's going to be a lot of science, so I'm going to work really hard to make it through all my um, slides, but uh, what I want to encourage you is to check out our website, because a lot of these resources are there, so don't feel like you have to take notes. <laughs> there will not be a test at the end. And um, I, I will point you to the website for a lot of these resources if you have any further questions and resources you can share with others, take home. Um, so who, who is the, what is the Charlotte Lozier Institute? So we are the research and education arm of the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America. Um, we're dedicated to providing the best science and statistics. We do research. We have over 70 associate scholars in all areas of medicine and law and science all over the nation. And uh, we really work hard to get the facts out there um, so that people understand the truth about the unborn child uh, and anything related to life. Um, so we are publishing in peer-reviewed journals. We're, we're right there side by side. Um, scientists that are out there at the major academic institutions. And so we encourage you to check out our website. We, um, we, we focus on so many issues related to life, abortion, end of life, stem cells, fetal tissue and genetics, law. Um, you know, as we know, Roe v. Wade was just overturned. So that we're trying to help people understand what's going on in the states right now. The focus of our conversation today is really going to be at the very um, cellular and molecular level, what is going on with fetal tissue, genetics, and stem cells? How are, what is going on in modern science in the way that it ignores the sanctity of human life and actually is using um, these unborn children all the way from the moment of conception and all the way up until birth um, really as a means of experimentation. And so I'm going to walk you through that and, and how we've been following this field. There's a lot, there's a lot of history, um, but I'm going to kind of give you kind of the snapshot of what's going on. One of our newest resources that I, I did talk about in my previous talk was our new website called thevoyageoflife.com. That is a wonderful resource. Just it, It's scientifically accurate. It talks about the humanity of the unborn child from beginning of conception all the way into the moment of birth, the key highlights, when does the baby's first heartbeat occur? When does the baby feel pain? Fingers and toes, everything. So I encourage you to check that out. Um, it will really open your eyes to the beauty of, of the unborn child. Um, I want to start with my journey because um, just real quick, I'm going to give you a little snapshot of just kind of where I've been and how I got to where I am because I think it'll help you to understand why I do what I do. I, I always love science always loved science. I remember when I was a little girl, I wanted a microscope. You know, some kids are asking 
<laughs> you know, dollhouses. Granted, I did like dollhouses too, but I, you know, I was asking for a microscope. I wanted to, I really always was fascinated with the human condition and understanding disease. I was convinced I was going to cure cancer, but God had other plans. Um, but I, when I would get the microscope, I was so fascinated with what was going on. You know, they would come with brine shrimp, they would come with feathers. I was like, this is so boring. <laughs> I'm like, I want, so I would actually prick my finger to my parents' chagrin and actually take blood and put it underneath the microscope because I wanted to try to see the blood cells that were in there. I'm like, that's when I want to know what's going on inside the body. Um, and so that's just, I've always had this fascination with understanding how does the body work and when it doesn't work, what went wrong, okay? But I knew, I knew, I always knew that life began at conception. We were taught that, right? We knew that human life began at conception from the moment, you know, a sperm fertilizes an egg. That's human life, um, even though many people are trying to deny that fact right now. And I knew that we were all unique from day one. You know, we are unique from the moment that we are one cell all the way to the, where we are now, a 30 trillion cell adult. Um, and so at the beginning, there is everything that is needed to make us unique. There's these traits as form of D in DNA. We have traits that are going to determine whether we have blue eyes or brown hair or what color skin we have. Um, but it's going to do more than that. It's going, we're also, our DNA is going to define just who we are as a person. And God has designed it in that way so that every single one of us are unique. Unfortunately, um, in our age, people, scientists are so driven to understand how humans develop, what makes us so unique, that they will go to any lengths to answer those questions. And, and I, I constantly think, when, when I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about, from the Bible, um, the Tower of Babel. There was so much, you know, there was so um, much effort into building this tower to go up to heaven um, that they didn't really stop to think what they were doing. And I feel like that's what's kind of going on with science. Scientists are just so determined. They have the tools to do it, and they're so determined to, to try to answer these questions that they're, a lot of times they're not stopping to think, are we doing what we should be doing, and what are the consequences? So we're going to talk about that. Um, so, you know, I, so I did, you know, I, I did go through all that I needed to do, got my training um, and my, my degrees that I needed to become a scientist. And this was what I did for um, over 20 years. I was working in the laboratory. I was looking at cells, looking at DNA, you know, tr looking through those microscopes, really trying to understand, specifically, we were really under trying to understand what caused um, heart disease in children. And so we worked really hard to find tools um, to be able to study disease. And the goal was always the same, you know, to understand what caused the disease. And hopefully you would discover something new that you could that would lead to the development of new therapies that would, that would stop and cure the disease. I mean, that was the goal. The goal was to try to bring comfort and care to the one suffering. But there was always this, you know, there's ethical boards that tell you, you know, you have to be, you can't, you can't, you know, I can't give you a drug without knowing that it's going to work. I would be running an experiment on you. <laughs> that would not be good. So there are ethical rules, what you can and can't do when you do experiments. The, the pro there's even really a lot of ethical rules of how many mice and rats. You have to use the smallest number of mice and rats when it comes to doing experiments. But when it comes to using the unborn as a means of, of experimentation, there's really no rules because they are not considered persons if they're unwanted. 
So this is where it becomes into, um, I mean, you're, if you have a woman, a family that wants a child, and you definitely can't do any experiment you want in that child, but the minute that the woman or the family doesn't want that child and they abort the child, or they go through in vitro fertilization and they don't want those embryos anymore, that's where the real risk comes in of them, of the exploitation of these um, human beings. Um, so my research used a lot of tools in the toolbox. We did use rats and mice, and, um, and it was never fun, part of my job. I didn't like that. And, you know, but I started using a lot of cell lines, and, and we, we, there's always this drive to, well, if you're going to understand, I mean, there's so much pressure as scientists. If you want to get funded and you want to, um, and, and you want to solve big problems when it comes to human disease, you need to have human tissue to do that. And you like know in your head, it's like, okay, well, I can't just use any human tissue. And, um, and I mean, human tissue isn't just lying around. So you find creative ways to do that that are ethical. And in our lab, we, uh, babies that were undergoing surgery to repair their heart defect, they would just throw away the heart valves that were diseased. They were, and that was fine. There, there's, I mean, that, that's how they had to repair the surgery. They, they, they had a surgery to repair the defect. So we, to us, those, that, that, those valves were really valuable because they were human tissue that allowed us to study the disease and then isolate cells to do that. Um, but, you know, and I was doing all this research in the laboratory until it became more clear to me, like, wait, how, how is, you know, my colleague over here studying this disease? And then you find out a very dark side of science that some are so determined to study human disease that they will basically go scavenging for, human, um, for aborted fetal body parts to, to do their experiments. And um, my day changed one day, you know, I've been in the lab for many years and um, one email came across my computer in which, um, in the state of Wisconsin, they were trying to pass a ban that you could no longer do any research that involved aborted fetal tissue. And and I, I, the email came through from our department chair, and he said, this is horrible. We need to stop this. We need aborted fetal tissue to do our research. And I remember getting on the phone with my friend and being like, this is horrible. Because they're speaking, they're taking, they're putting all of us scientists into one group and speaking for us and saying, isn't this horrible? And we're like thinking, no, this is great. We want this ban to happen. We don't want a human fetal tissue. And that one day, the Holy Spirit just lit, a, lit, a, this, <laughs> lit my soul on fire, and I knew that I was being called to be a call for the voice. I was, knew I was being called to be a voice for the voiceless um, and to stand up and say, this is wrong. Um, so we did. We started to talk to people, and we started speaking up, and um, a lot of people didn't like what we were saying um, because what we were saying is that um, this is... You don't need these, we knew, we were in the lab. You don't need these tissues. There are lots of other ways to, to study the human condition. Um, you don't need these, and it's, it's exploiting babies when you do this. And so, but we had to, you know, we just went out so naively. We didn't really, you know, we were just trying to help them understand, but, um, but it, we were, of course, being discredited and saying, well, we, you aren't the real scientists. These are our real scientists that know, and they're going to explain that we need this tissue. So I've been working, um, and, and I was very blessed to then, uh, um, the Charlotte Lozier Institute, then um, this is what we do. We, we go around and we provide the truth, we, the truth about the unborn children and protecting them and how this is really exploiting them. 
Um, so let's talk a little bit about what's going on. So when we're talking about experiments with human beings, um, you know, this can happen at the very, very beginning um, where you can, you can actually create life inside a dish. And then once you have an embryo, you can manipulate it the way that you want. This is a living human being from the moment of conception. And so there's a lot of experiments that are happening very early on at the embryonic stage, like day one, day five, the massive creation and destruction and manipulation of these embryos is unbelievable. Uh, we are talking thousands upon thousands of human embryos that are being generated and manipulated in, in the name of, of science. And then what I just talked to you about with the aborted fetal tissue, that is a major market in which baby body parts are literally being sold and trafficked to researchers throughout the nation in order to conduct these experiments. So it's not bad enough that they've already been killed, but now they are going to be um, sold um, and to the to the researchers. And so this is what we stood up for. And so this was it really becomes a, a battle because you have on one side you have a bunch of researchers that are saying no, we need these you know these tools in our toolbox in order to make medical progress. And then you have people over here saying, no, we need to stop this, this is wrong. And everybody thinks that everybody on the science side is for it. And that was really what we wanted to do. We, we wrote an op-ed that said, look, we need to inform our colleagues and the public that not all scientists are in support of research using aborted derived fetal tissue or, or exploiting and um, creating embryos and then killing them um, and then destroying them. And we knew this because there were, we knew that there was you know, a lot of ethical alternatives that are saving lives. And I know this is a little bit busy slide, but I just want to point out that this is using living, consenting adults that, you know, their adult stem cells that are in their body and that can be like even in their blood can be donated. I mean, when we start talking about bone marrow transplantation, that is the epitome of adult stem cells being used to save life, okay? And, um, you know, we know that umbilical cord blood, when a baby is born, that's actually a really precious source of adult stem cells, and it's saving lives. I explained to you my experience with surgery, how tissue that was being discarded allowed us to study some really, and ask some really important questions using that model. And there's also this new model that you can actually just take a small little biopsy from your skin to create these cells that are called induced pluripotent stem cells that behave like the embryonic stem cells, and you don't have to destroy embryos in the process. So they are, they are a great model to use as an alternative to embryos. So there's all these choices. So we kept saying, look, we don't need these tissues, and it, it's absolutely not necessary. And, and on top of that, stem cells, adult stem cells are the real workhorses here that are saving lives. And I'm not going to get into the science, but adult stem cells are actually, they're scientifically, they are a much better cell to, um, to help people because if you have embryonic stem cells or fetal cells that you're trying to save lives, it's like they think they're in a, they do behave differently because they think that they're in a, a smaller embryo body, right? Um, I have a colleague that explains like, let's say you have a fire in the house, right? And you want to put out the fire and you ask the firefighters to come but instead, they're like, no, we're not going to put out your fire. We're going to build you a new house. You're like, no, no, we don't want you to build us a new house. We want you to just put out the fire. It's the same way with adult stem cells. If you have a disease in an adult human being, 
you don't want to bring in stem cells from a fetus or an embryo because they only know how to rebuild the entire body. Okay, and that's why when you have these fetal cells or, or especially the embryonic stem cells, they can actually produce tumors in people when they try testing them out in clinical trials. So adult stem cells have saved over a, a million people, um, so they really are powerful. We see that adult stem cells are even being used to treat babies inside the womb. They have a technology in which you can actually harvest the mother's own cells, her own stem cells, and then they can be used to treat her baby inside the womb if the baby is suffering from a certain, especially a certain blood disorder. And in fact, this case, this baby was the first in utero stem cell transplant trial that was successful. So the mother's own stem cells saved her baby. It's, it's beautiful. So where do we draw the line? I mean, when we're talking about unethical, it's just, it's, it's, it is kind of massive. There's so much going on, but I'm going to try to break it down for you. Um, Basically, if you have cells that you want to use from a living embryo or from an aborted fetus, you are taking them, in the case of the aborted fetus, you're taking them from the bodies and organs of babies that have been killed. They are being exploited. It brings up major consent issues too, informed consent, because the mother is consenting to give the researcher the tissues but obviously the mother does not have the best intention of that child in mind, okay? It's different when you're a living adult and you give consent for some, you know, something for research. That's very different. The other thing is that fetal stem cells are ineffective. We found that if actually it's made many patients worse. It's obsolete and unnecessary. We don't need it. Like I mentioned earlier, adult stem cells, it can be taken from a patient's own body, consenting donors. It's been used in many successful transplants. It really is seen as the gold standard when it comes to stem cell transplants. So why do we keep going back to this unethical practice? When we come to embryo, embryonic stem cells, in this case, you have to destroy the living human being in order to get these cells. And I mentioned earlier, and they're inferior. The IPS cells are more advanced, and they actually don't work as well. And there's these other ethical alternatives, such as those induced pluripotent stem cells that I mentioned. So, and I just want to remind you, too, of just the, it really is horrific when you start thinking about this. Because the, when they um, harvest these baby body parts, they are harvesting them from all different stages of pregnancy. So they will, any, they will collect them for any and every reason. The baby can have a disease or it does not. They find a reason. They, they will justify, any, any, justify their practices. In the case of a first trimester, less than 14 weeks, they will be um, collecting these uh, fetal remains by DNC. When it comes to a second trimester, it's going to be dilation and evacuation. They literally are ripping the baby part by part. And I know it's graphic, but it's true. And then they, the only way that they know that they've actually gotten every, they, they've done everything, that they've, their goal is to deliver a dead baby, is that they have to try to put the baby back together in pieces to make sure that nothing is left inside the womb. These are the baby body parts that are instantly placed on ice and then sent off um, for research. Um, it's a, I, I encourage you, there is this website. This is one of our scholars, um, um, Dr. Altman, who describes the procedures. I know it's horrific, but I think it's important for us to remember the details of what's going on. Um, the 
this was really exposed. Um, it's interesting because about a decade before this, 2020 actually did an episode on, on um, fetal tissue trafficking. Um, it's actually interesting, but, and, and it got some attention, but then it kind of died down again. But then in 2015, because nothing was happening at the federal level, and so David Delighton, I don't know if you've heard about him, but he's with the Center for Medical Progress, and they went undercover um, and did an investigation. So they posed as people that, that wanted to, to buy these tissues. And so then they would film the, they would go to these conferences, and um, it was very clear that this, this was a market. This was a market, and they were making money. I mean, you had people that were saying how they, that they just wanted to get a Lamborghini out of this. Um, I mean, it's, it's just, it's horrific. So this, this hasn't, this wasn't anything new because as I mentioned, like Chris Wallace, you know, in 2020, he conducted a hidden, um, or 2020 actually conducted a hidden camera investigation as well. And so this was not new news. It's just that it was a reminder like, oh, this is still going on. And in this case, like they're talking about getting the bone, the liver, the thymus from babies 18 to 22 weeks. Um, I also want to mention that this does seriously pose a risk to the mother. Because there have been reports, they are in the literature, it's now kind of going underground, it's not as easy to find anymore, but you can find reports where they have direct, because it is, you're, if you, it's still legal to do this, but it becomes illegal if you modify the abortion procedure in order to collect the tissues, because that puts the women's health in, in, at risk. And there are absolute, absolutely there are, um, there are papers that show that they have directly gone out of their way to work with the, where the researcher works with those, with the abortionist to try to minimize the way that they, um, when they, especially when they, when they, when they kill the baby, that they try to minimize um, basically the, they try to, let me say it a different way. They try to maximize it so that the baby's intact. They don't want to destroy the organs. So there's things that they do to try to ensure that that happens, and that puts the mother at risk. There was a serious, um, this, un the undercover investigation um, resulted in congressional and Senate um, investigations. They wrote the reports. There was um, a lot of, there was evidence suggesting that there was a legal practice, and there were reports sent to the, um, there was allegations sent to the, the DOJ. Nothing has really been done about it that we're aware of. But this is just one example of an invoice that they found, um, Advanced Bioscience Resources is one of the top repositories that was there basically at the time of the abortion to get the tissues and then send them out to the researchers. But here you can see that somebody at the University of Madison was billed um, you know, $680 for two eyes um, from a baby at 24 weeks gestation. Right now, fast forward now, and um, the University of Washington, the birth defects labor uh, laboratory, is absolutely the Amazon of baby body parts right now. They are a federally funded laboratory that gets millions of dollars over the last 50 years to um, be the repository of, of the baby body parts. We're talking eyes, kidneys, livers, you name it, um, anything. Um, it definitely made the news recently um, because they were on record for saying that they actually were keeping aborted fetuses in paper bags. Um, and so they tried to cover it up by saying, well, that's just kind of a normal part of, you know, how we do research. And, um, but it, it just was clear that 
there's a lot. There's a, and, and they're not, they're, they're not bashful about it. You can go to the NIH website and see very clearly when they apply for money. They're very proud of what they do. Um, there are other, so there's other laboratories um, in the United States that use fetal tissue. I'm just showing you a couple of quotes from their grants, what they plan to do with the tissue that they hear. They, they do research in which they use human fetal eyes. In this case, they're studying brain development. Um, so they're grabbing human fetal samples um, from the brain between four and 23 weeks gestation. Um, they do research on human fetal testes. Um, the primary, um, if you look at all the grants in the United States, and you ask, what, is, what are they mostly doing with this tissue? They're mostly making what's called humanized mice. They're call, it's called, sometimes referred to as bone marrow, bone marrow liver thymus, BLT mice. Well, what does that mean? Well, they literally are taking fresh um, liver and thymus and implanting them into the mouse. Um, be, and why do they do that? Because they want to study infection. They want to study HIV. They want to study tuberculosis, right? They want to study all these different infectious diseases that are specific to humans. But if you use a rat, it's, it's going to have an immune system of a rat. You want to have it have an immune system similar to a human. So you put human tissues inside to give it a, a, a human type. Um, and so what's really important to understand about this market when you're talking fresh fetal tissue, like straight from the abortion to the experiment, that this is ongoing destruction of babies is required, right? You run out of it, you get one experiment. You, do the, you use the tissue, you do the experiment, it's gone. You need to keep going back, right? It's not like you can keep these mice going forever. So this is an ongoing thing that continues to fuel the abortion industry. Um, this was a, um, the Center for Medical Progress made this, uh, also brought awareness to this paper from a couple of years ago in which they actually took human scalps from the fetuses and grew them on the back um, of these rat models and they're showing that they have baby hair that's growing on them. Um, I want to point out, because people, it, this, this is an important distinction to make, especially when we start talking vaccines. Because as I mentioned, like fetal tissue is, you know, there's the ongoing destruction. You, you need that fresh fetal tissue. Um, when we start talking historic fetal, line, fetal cell lines, these are cell lines that are historic because they were, they were created decades and decades ago. Um, yes, they originated from one cell that came from kidney tissue from aborted fetus, but what's happening is that then they, they can, these cell lines can be grown and expanded, frozen, thawed. It's kind of like the never-ending supply. Um, it's not the case for all these cell lines, but for many of them, like you might hear, you know, HEK293 cells, those are the ones. The ongoing destruction is not needed. It's still an issue. We don't commend this practice. But um, I just want to point out that distinction because this is really important. These cell lines, um, if you hear about them in vaccines, this is what we're talking about. They're cells that are brought out of like a freezer and then they're, they grow up just enough so that they can develop vaccines, they can, they can produce vaccines, and they can test vaccines. Um, this has become a, an important issue, of course, with, with COVID. We're keeping a really close eye on this. You can go to our website. Um, my colleague, Dr. David Prentice, just knows everything 
about COVID vaccines and fetal cell lines. So we have a lot of resources on our website. So if you're wondering, were fetal cell lines used in the vaccine I took or that's available, you can go check it out. But also going back to the necessary point, we don't need these cell lines either. Most vaccines are made in cell lines that have nothing to do with humans. We actually, we find that viral monkey cells, insect cells, actually Chinese hamster ovary cells are, made, are used to make a lot of our therapeutics and vaccines. So we don't need these cell lines. Um, this does become a societal issue because as I, I show, and this is in our, one of our papers that we, um, that we published, that we talk about how the continued use of fetal, aborted fetal tissue in our society really has a societal impact. And I think COVID is actually probably one of the best examples of that because even though you can draw, you can, even though the line between abortion and, and a, the public, right, between the abortion and actually the cell lines that were developed and making the vaccine where it actually came into the public, even though there were decades between, between, there were so many people that refused the vaccine because they knew that they were made or tested with aborted fetal cell lines. And so um, it's important for people to understand that we don't need these, so why use them, right? It's, it's, it's just really, it's causing, um, it, and it just continues to keep the process going. We explain this all in um, this, 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 uh, this peer-reviewed publication, um, if you're interested, and um, it's, it's free online, available to the public. Um, but I guess the big question is, you know, why, why do people, why do people continue to want to use these cell lines? And, these, and I, I want to now kind of, you know, we talked about the fetus, and I want to move back a little bit into the embryo, because it all goes back to, again, these stem cells. They want to harness the ability of these cells very early on that have what's called pluripotency. That means that they have the capacity to, to divide and to develop into basically all the cells of the body. And the younger and younger that the embryo is, the more pluripotent they are, the more ability they have to create um, more tissues and cell lines. And as I said before, when it comes to treating disease, it really doesn't make sense. Adult stem cells make sense. But now what we're seeing is the shift that they're really, they just want to use these, they really want to use this to study human development. It's really this drive to understand um, how humans are developed and to understand major mechanisms. Um, where, are they getting, where are they getting all these embryos? Well, it really comes back to in vitro fertilization, um, where, where fertilization occurs out in a test tube outside of the mother's womb, um, very controlled environment. Um, but it is kind of the Wild West when it comes to in vitro fertilization. And these excess embryos are, um, they are either implanted, they can be stored, um, but they can also be discarded if parents don't want them. But what often happens to them is that parents are often given this opportunity. Oh, look, you know, you created, we, we were able to create 30 human embryos and um, we transferred three and now you have the family that you want, but now what are you going to do with the remainder of them? And they often feel like, oh, well, let's have some good come out of it. Let's donate it to research, right? But... It's, it's a living human being, right? It's like that, that living human being is called a baby when it's inside their womb, you know, but then they're given over to research and, they're, and the minute they go into a researcher's hands, they're immediately destroyed because it's the only way that they can do the experiments that they want to do. Well, or they're grown for a while and then they're destroyed. Um, so we have a, 
this is where I was saying, I'm going to show you a lot of examples. I'm going to kind of have to go through this kind of fast just because of time, but I'm just going to give you a real snapshot of like, what are they doing with some of these things. So when you have a human embryo at the very early stage, you can, through either IVF or a different means of fertilization, you, 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 create, you have these excess embryos or you fertilize them. You have these blastocysts, which are called these early embryos at day five stage. And what they do is then they destroy these embryos and they create what's called embryonic cell, stem cell lines. And so once they create these stem cell lines, it's kind of similar to what I showed with the fetal cell lines. You can, you can expand them, you can multiply them, you can use them over and over again, and, but they're different in that they, they really have this more pluripotent potential. What's um, interesting is that when some of the first embryonic stem cell lines were approved um, under new NIH guidelines, there were only about a handful. Now, a, hand, a handful. Now we are looking at nearly 500 embryonic stem cell lines that are in this registry, basically through the National Institutes of Health. And so, you can do research. Researchers can get federal funding to use these cell lines. So this is a taxpayer-funded um, research. And and researchers are trying to use them to create therapies. You will see sometimes clinical studies of using them for, especially for macular degeneration. So um, again, you know, when we go back to the fetal cell lines, there's been no therapies with fresh fetal tissue. When you look at embryonic stem cells, there's maybe some clinical trials, but um, I'm not aware of any FDA approved yet. I have to double check that. Um, but I just want to point out that when it comes to, you know, just the scientists that are using these embryos and over and over again destroying them and, and you know, they even start to have a heart for it. So this is the scientist that won the Nobel Prize for figuring out an ethical alternative way to, so that you don't have to destroy embryos. He developed what was called those induced pluripotent stem cells that I talked about using skin cells. It's amazing. So this, um, this is his quote, Yamanaka. When I saw the embryo, I suddenly realized there was such a small difference between it and my daughters, said Yamanaka, 45, a father of two. I thought, we can't keep destroying embryos for our research. There must be another way. And when he looked for another way, he found it. And then he won the Nobel Prize for it. And so, and these are a wonderful model. Um, but, you know, even when you develop something that is an ethical alternative, it's kind of like a car itself isn't, isn't bad. What's bad is if you use it to hurt somebody. It's the same with the IPS cells. Like, they are not bad inherently, but I'm going to show you some studies that people are actually using them now to do <laughs> other kind of horrific things. Um, one of the other things that are so, in addition to like the excess embryos that are used um, to isolate the embryonic stem cells, there is this now major push to grow human embryos in the lab. Um, not to destroy them, but let's grow them and see how long we can, they can grow. So what I'm showing you here is, you know, the kind of the timeline for an embryo on the top. Um, early, early embryogenesis is really all about the, the layers of the embryo that are going to form the brain, the human heart, and the different tissues of the body. There was this kind of unwritten rule and guideline that you couldn't go past day 14 if you were going to grow embry human embryos. Now that's out the window. 
And so um, now what researchers are doing is they're, they're using these early embryos and growing them for, right now it's, it's, it's not easy to grow them past 14 days, but they're trying really hard. And I want to remind you that the first heartbeat happens at day 22, and the neural tube is closed. That means the initial part of the really important part of the brain that gives rise to the, the or um, the neural tube is what gives rise to the brain and the spinal cord, that that closes by 27. So if we're talking going past 14 days, we're not too far from that. So there's a lot, um, and the IS, the International Society for Stem Cell Research actually, um, they came up with new proposed guidelines just last year, saying, you know what, that 14-day rule, it's out the window, okay? We now, there's zero limits. We think it's really important to go forward with this research, create human model, human embryo models all you want, and you know what, once you have them, let's see what you can do with them. So they're doing genetic alteration, they're making human-animal chimeras, and they're working on, they also really advocate gestating human embryos after what's called a mitochondrial transfer through parent embryo. So what are these synthetic human embryos? And I, I talked about my, in my talk uh, earlier today about how people can really justify abortion if they can dehumanize the human being, like it's really not a human being. It's no different with human embryo experiments. They're, they're calling it in order, we're noticing that they're not calling it a human embryo anymore, what they're making. They're calling it a synthetic. It's a model. If this isn't a real human embryo, this isn't a synthetic human. <laughs> so basically what they're doing, as mentioned earlier, like they're taking any type of pluripotent stem cell, like an embryonic stem cell, or even those IPS cells, like I mentioned, ethically they're okay, but then when you take them and you, you kind of, the best way to say this, they kind of stir them with a stick in a certain way, and they literally have been able to conceive human beings from these pluripotent stem cells without sperm or egg, okay? So you skip the whole zygotic stage, that very first beginning of human life. You no longer have the sperm-egg fusion. You now have taken other cells and you've, you've pushed them into um, human life, but a different way. It's, it's really um, quite unbelievable. So, they're playing around with this a lot right now with synthetic mice, with mice. So that's kind of a, it's kind of an indication of what they're, where they're planning to go. They, they start with mice and then they kind of expand to humans. But here, um, scientists have now mixed these stem cells together to form advanced stages of mice, mouse embryos in the lab. And what's important is that they go beyond the implantation stage. So they have beating hearts, they have emerging blood circulation, a brain, neural tube, and intestinal tract. I know it's hard to see all that in this picture, but it's all explained in, in that picture, or I mean in the paper. But it's very clear that they are not gonna stop at mice. So when we saw that this was happening, um, it's really clear that they're basically creating mouse babies and bottles, but their humans are next. And so the author of the paper that sh grew these mouse embryos in bottles, this is a quote from him. I would advocate growing it, a human embryo, until day 40 and then disposing of it. So they are absolutely thinking around um, this, that's going nuns front. And what they're doing is they're, they're growing, they're creating naturally conceived mice, and they call them natural. And, with, and then they create these synthetic ones without eggs or sperm, and then they compare them side by side. What they're finding is that they're about 95% similar. They're still calling them synthetic and models, 
but you know, again, they have beating hearts. They have, they have a brain. And so, you know, if they go this route with human beings, um, we really, it's just, and the thing is people want to do this and I, I'm not making this stuff up. So that, um, that Dr. Dr. Jacob Hanna, who did these studies, he started a company, Renewal Bio. It's in Israel. And so this startup in Israel wants to literally copy humans, an embryo, for organ harvesting. So they want to create these realistic synthetic embryos that are grown in jars. And then the idea is that then they can maybe be used for harvesting their um, organs for, um, you know, for people that need transplants. Um, and I think it's just interesting that like this is the Renewal Bio website. They say the problem, humanity is getting older and sicker. It's like, yes, <laughs> it's called sin, <laughs> you know, it's death. And so it's like, so you can just see how the secular world is just, you know, trying to hang on to life in this earth as we know it. Um, and it's just, and, it, and this is an, a quote from this article that points this out, that the ability to create these synthetic embryos from cells, no egg, no sperm, no uterus, it's really amazing, he says. We think it can be a massive transformative platform technology that can be applied to both fertility and longevity. So this is, this is their goal. Um, as I mentioned before, once you have the embryo, whether it's synthetic, whether it's natural, however, they want to manipulate it. And because of time, I'm going to go through this pretty fast. Basically, they, they manipulate it by germline editing. They take out the genes that they want. They put the genes in that they want to see if they can try to eliminate disease. Okay, the problem, somatic cell gene editing, that happens after the person is born. Heritable germline editing, what we're talking about with these embryos is that if it goes forward, this, would, this edited gene would be passed on to future generations. This is changing the whole human race. This is not a trivial thing. Um, this is what the Chinese researcher did when he first gene edited the babies in China. Um, they, are, they are definitely playing around with these embryos and, and creating human-animal chimeras. How does that happen? Well, they inject the human pluripotent stem cells into a mouse or an animal embryo. So that basically the, and then you put the, the, the animal embryo that contains, it's part human, back into you know, the mouse or the pig or the monkey the idea being that you can generate these chimeras, these like pigs that are part human, part, part pig, with the idea that you can, it's a way to, to grow organs, right? If you could figure out a way to do it so that you have a pig that is growing a human heart, then you could have all the hearts you want, right? And so it, but it's, you know, serious ethical problems here when you start talking about, well, what if you don't get it right and you have an animal that has part of a human brain or an animal that has actually human gametes that can reproduce? I mean, we start getting into real serious problems here when you start thinking of worst case scenario. Um, this, is, um, this is definitely probably, if we're gonna see anything hit the horizon first, this is gonna be it, where they want to genetically modify these embryos to the point so that um, mitochondrial disorder doesn't, isn't there and it can help people have babies. What that requires is that you have to have two mothers to do it. You have to have a mother's egg that is normal and you need to, then you need to take 
the actual female donor that wants to have the baby and take her nuclear DNA. And so it's basically, you end up having a three-parent embryo. So you have, and this, is, this happened, this baby was um, born in Mexico. This was the world's first baby born, actually had a three-parent technique to try to eliminate a mitochondrial disorder. Um, I, it's also, you know, cloning. I, you know, it, you can't, there's absolute cloning that is, that they're trying to do because the whole point is that if you, as a scientist, if you do an experiment, the best way to do the experiment is that if you have multiple of the same thing, right? Because you want to make sure it works. So if you can create, if you can clone it, a, an embryo multiple, multiple times, then you can run an experiment and get multiple data points. So, so cloning not only has this ability to be able to just give you the scientific numbers that you want, so you, but it's, if this ever goes down the road of reproductive cloning, it's not yet. But this is something that we absolutely need to watch too. And this has been going on for, well, this has been an issue of debate forever. I mean, they cloned Dolly the sheep back in 1996 in, 20, in 2019, what they did is they, they gene edited a monkey. They picked the monkey that they thought was the best one, that had the, gene, the best genes, and then they cloned that monkey. So it's basically showing how let's choose the best, what we think is genetically best, and then let's clone that. Um, and I, you know, I, I just, I think sometimes, you know, I can't, sometimes I can't even believe that this stuff is going on. <laughs> this, is, this is my last slide, but I just want to, um, just this morning, like I found out that there was a talk that happened just last week at Faith and Law in Washington, D.C. It was a bioethics briefing. The title of the talk was The Technologies and Developments That Affect Who We Are as Persons and How to Promote Human Flourishing. So, um, so this scientist, his name is William Hurlbutt, um, he's an adjunct professor um, at Stanford Medical School. These are quotes and what he was talking about just last week. The 20th century was the century of molecular biology. The 21st century will be developmental biology. So that's what I was talking about, you know, being able to create these embryos when you want them, how you want them, without sperm and eggs, synthetic, however, that's what they're going to use, the tool they're going to use to study developmental biology. Chimeras could be a useful tool for research, and he cited how they inserted human DNA into monkeys to test changes in IQ. Um, he talked about testing in these settings could allow for later changes in humans, such as going to space or slowing aging. So he's totally advocating for chimeras. Uh, colleagues of his were likely to get a human embryo halfway through gestation soon. This was just a human embryo halfway through gestation. That's like 14 weeks. Oh, that, no, that's no, wait, sorry, no, 38, that's, I have to do my math. <laughs> no, that's not true. But it's, it's just, you have a beating heart, you have a baby that feels pain. Um, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, and so he also says um, that 14-day rule, it was unnecessary. Now others are pushing into 26 days and later. The heartbeat is starting at 22 days. Um, he actually made a bet with another Stanford professor that there will be a live birth completely ex utero in the next 10 years. And he was talking about CRISPR and he's saying it's the easiest to edit in the womb and a fertilized egg just inject it in. So it just, it, it points to just how, 
how there is just this drive to continue. I mean, making a bet that they're actually going to have an embryo gestation, you know, halfway through, that's just, that's unbelievable. Um, I just want to point out so that you don't think that human chimeras are like running around. We, you know, usually they, they'll do the early blastus and then they'll, or the early embryo, and then they will destroy them. There are laws in place. I think it's important to understand this. The Dickey-Wicker Amendment of 1996 says that no federal funds can be used to create or destroy a human embryo for research purposes. That doesn't mean you can't use um, private funds, but you, can use, you can't use federal funds. The Adderhold Amendment is really important. That prohibits the FDA from approving any genetically edited embryo product created for pregnancy. That means we can't, that's why the, he had to go to Mexico to have the three-parent baby. So you can't create a product, and, and basically that means a genetically edited baby, and, you, and, and, make, and create it for pregnancy. So that's what's holding all this stuff from, crazy stuff from happening and, and, and actually going into um, babies being uh, actually for pregnancy. So I know I just threw a lot of stuff at you. I'm just going to point you to this resource that we have, the Handbook of Nascent Human Beings on our website. It's a visual aid for understanding all the crazy science and experimentation that's happening with human embryos. We have a chart there by my colleague, uh, Dr. James Shirley, who, um, you know, he's really spent a lot of time thinking about this and lays out the ethical and moral issues when it comes to this and consent. So I encourage you to check it out. So thank you for staying a little after. I appreciate that. Let me, happy to answer any questions. Thanks for listening to this session from the 2022 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. This material is copyrighted and may not be altered or sold. For information, please visit shepherds360.org.